Hi, and welcome to Booktopia, a podcast on books that we've read and discussed by your hosts, Nabo and Stephanie. Thanks for joining on our inaugural episode where we will be discussing Homegoing by Ya Jesse, a book that's been getting a lot of press lately. But before that, let's get you introduced to us. Since this is our first episode, Nabo and I thought it would be great to give you a little bit of a backstory about who we are, why we're here today creating this podcast for you. So Nabo and I met in grad school in the Midwest. We reconnected when she moved out to San Francisco, and one of the first things we discussed was our love of books. We both love to read, um, and I thought I'd start out with a little interview question for Nabo. So Nabo, what's your favorite book? This is like asking someone with no children what their favorite child is, if I had a lot of children. But um, I think my favorite book and author uh, are related. My favorite author is Zadie Smith, just because I think she's so wonderful and expresses um, her emotions and feelings so beautifully. And so my favorite book is uh, On Beauty by Zadie Smith. And I really love it because it talks about um, an urban family living in um, a college town and kind of their experiences. Um, yeah, I've read On Beauty as well, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Zadie Smith is actually coming to San Francisco to speak um, later this year, maybe in February, and I'm excited to check her out. Do you want to know what my favorite book is, Yes, Nabo? go for it. Uh, my favorite book is called Shantaram, and it's um, it's kind of almost like a crime thriller about a guy who escapes from Australia and ends up living in slums in Bombay. And um, it's really about how he learns about a culture that's totally different from his own, you know, grows to love a, a cast of different characters that he meets um, and he has tons of adventures um, so that's my favorite book and before we get too much further we have to say that we're also joined by our amazing producer Sheila Sheila say hi oh hey and why don't you tell us what your favorite book is um, so I'm gonna go for a favorite book throwback um, probably one of the first books that made a really big impact on me was Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. Love that. I love books about the um, female experience of growing older. And as the younger sister to two brothers, Mm. Little Women just seemed like utopia to me. (laughs) What a great choice. How much did you cry when Beth died? Sorry, spoiler alert. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) We're still not over it. I mean, we know that Joey from Friends cried. And if a man can cry about that book, then I can only imagine. I still have long-standing resentment against Kirsten Dunst, who played... Amy in the movie. I know. Because she ended up with Lori. Joe and Lori, one of the greatest couples of all time that never were. No, no, because like the guy that she ends up with, they have such so much more of a stable, secure whatever. He's like an old professor. Professor Bear? No, thank you. Then she has Really? No. The guy that played him in the movie was pretty handsome. I forget his name. Alfred not Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say Alfred Molina. Christian Bale. So oh. let's just, I can't even talk about it anymore. I think Sheila has queued up my Sunday night Netflix watching <laughs> oh, for sure. me. So and as you can see, she is definitely going to join us on our next podcast discussion because she is amazing. Already, she's bringing so much flavor to the bookcast. But thank you, all seven people who are listening to our inaugural podcast. Hi, Mom. Hey, Mom. The intent for this is really um, for, you know, busy women or men who want to be part of a book club but don't have the time or resources to do so this is a great format we hope for you to join in or if you want to use this as a launch pad for your own book clubs and use our suggestions as books that you guys read 
Personally, you could also use this to pick up important tidbits of, you know, people are always asking me at cocktail parties, what are you reading? So if you're too busy to read but want to sound smart and cute into the literary community, just use our talking points. And the next time someone is mansplaining to you about how, you know, they've been reading Ta-Nehisi Coates, you can, be, you can say, well, did you know Ta-Nehisi Coates recommended Yeah, Jesse And I just finished reading her book. So that will shut them up. There and you know, so whatever way works best for you, but let's launch into the book. Um, Steph, why don't you tell us what Homegoing is about? Sure, definitely, I can do that. So, Homegoing is a novel about two half sisters, Effia and Essie. Um, and the book starts out in the 1700s in the Gold Coast, which is now called Ghana. Effia is married into a slave captain who is um, catching slaves. In a British colonialist. A British colonialist, exactly. Essie is actually sold into slavery and um, ends up in the American South. And so the book follows the descendants of these two women um, over six generations. And so we get to know with each chapter one descendant from a single generation of either Essie or Effia. And so obviously the book flips back and forth between Ghana and the United States, ending up in uh, current day. And I think the really intriguing thing to me about the book, in addition to its obvious, you know, compelling theme, is the fact that, yeah, Jessie is a first-time author. She's only 26 years old. She's a product of Stanford and the Iowa Writers' Workshop, which, as we know, is the holy grail for all young, brilliant writers. And this first book was apparently bid over by 10 publishing houses in today's day and age. And she received a huge advance. And she also lives in the East Bay, which isn't too far from us in San Francisco. So our medium term goal is to make her our friend. Hiya. <laughs> and we're so I was very excited to delve into this book and, you know, read what this young visionary author had to say. Great. So we'll, we thought we'd just um, do a quick overview um, about the different themes that we're going to talk about. Um, so we have um, a good list of topics. Um, we're going to talk about the role of fate, the topic of complicity, uh, the treatment of African-Americans in the book, as well as the book's lyricism. And then we'll um, give you a little bit of background on the name and our thoughts on the ending. Um, so Nabo, do you want to kick it off and uh, tell us a little bit about the theme of fate in the book? Absolutely. So what was really interesting to me about this book, as Steph said, is it follows um, seven generations of family that originate from one woman and follow such different trajectories. Um, the Gold Coast slash Ghana half of the book, you see, you know, 250 years of strong kingdoms and then their, you know, fight with the British and the Dutch, eventual colonialism, freedom, and really coming of age of a very strong African nation. And then on the other side, you see, you know, the whole history of African-American slavery, all the way from being brought over on these ships across the Atlantic to um, the Civil War and, you know, freedom and kind of social situation and conditions in the present day world. And what I think is really interesting is that while these two have led very different lives, and the African American side was obvious was you know obviously more cruel in the treatment that they experienced. There's really this connecting theme or message of fate and like how 
your fate is your fate and you can't escape it. So even though the Ghanaian side was relatively free, um, as in not enslaved or not belonging to other people, they still had their struggles. They had a lot of trials and tribulations. You know, they, um, they were not necessarily by virtue of being free necessarily happy. And that was really interesting to me in that where where is this question of your destiny kind of being inescapable and following you around. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And I also think that, you know, it kind of goes without saying you have this huge juxtaposition between the two sisters where, you know, they um, essentially could have had the the same life, um, but one ends up, um, you know, almost the queen of a castle living in this... um, uh, beautiful um, castle with her British husband where the other is down below just living in complete misery. So yeah, so I think that um, that really highlighted for me this idea of fate where one sister's life turns out um, so terribly and the other's life is so different. And I think one really interesting thing that you know came to mind was a friend of mine pointed out really beautifully that to her, and this is my friend Nidhi, so hi Nidhi, that this book raised a question of, you know, is there a type of preordained or ingrained history that almost becomes part of your genetic lineage and kind of intractably follows you around, even though you might not have been part of that experience? It's kind of the shared collective history of your tribe or your ancestry. Um, like, for instance, one of Joe's daughters, Belua, wakes up at night from, you know, night terrors that you know, she shouldn't have because she's never been a slave, but, you know, maybe it's something that's been passed down in her genetic code and the sort of generational trauma that might get ingrained into your fabric and what that means to bear the burden of that, that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's something I hadn't thought about when I was reading the book. And um, it's a really interesting point. Um, why don't we chat a little bit about kind of that idea of complicity in the book? Um, because one of the things that Um, I thought was interesting was um, Jesse really points out that uh, there were African players in the slave trade in a way that I hadn't necessarily seen highlighted in a book before where um, she describes the Fonte and the Asante tribes kingdoms and um, how um, they sold you know other um, African people into slavery and the way that they benefited from that. And there's actually a really kind of interesting and poignant section of the book where one of the, um, one of Effia's descendants, James, um, is in a mourning line and he sees a beautiful woman and, um, you know, she refuses to shake his hand and um, says, I won't touch the hand of a slaver. And, um, you know, and he sort of reflects on that and realizes that um, she, as an Asante tribe member, um, is also in some way perhaps inculcated and and you know he basically says whose hands are actually clean in this terrible history uh, of slavery and i think that's a great point because maybe this is just me not knowing enough but i definitely did not know about the african the role of africans in the slave trade and i think that was really um you know interesting for me to read about one african kingdom pitted against another and how, you know, it was kind of the business of slavery and kind of profiteering from human lives. It was like trading wood or timber, which is, of course, terrible, but you really get to see that side of it, which isn't as known. And I also think that, you know, Steph, I think you raised a great point with James because he's, 
you know, perhaps the only character that we see actively walking away from his inherited fate. So as Steph said, James is a product of, an Af of Afante and Asante union, and therefore he is royalty. But he kind of makes this very strong statement that his family trades in humans and he wants to walk away from that. Um, and so he actively rejects that complicity. But, you know, he doesn't end up very happy either. Right. He's a old, poor farmer who is cursed and his land never bears any fruit. And that kind of, you know, raises the point of, are we paying for the sins of our fathers and can we escape our fate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it harkens back to some of the things that you said earlier about destiny and, and um, sort of the the sort of, I guess, generational scars that we might bear. Absolutely. Um, so Steph, what do you think in terms of how African-Americans are treated in this book? I actually found um, the, the chapters that were set in the United States to be particularly interesting. Um, I'm interested in U.S. history, and so I thought um, Jesse did a great job of kind of um, describing the transformation in the United States. Um, she has the characters living through slavery um, and then the Jim Crow South, experiencing the Great Migration, um, working for the NAACP in Harlem, um, all the way up to um, sort of the, the current day experience of Marcus, who ends up traveling back to Ghana for the first time at the end of the book. I think one thing that was interesting was how many parallels there were between the experiences of some of the characters, even as a result of the Fugitive Slave Act and, you know, with what we're seeing in the world today, because Joe, who is um, a child of um, two slaves who's kind of been free, who's free now as a result of kind of following the Underground Railroad, tells his children that, you know, whenever a policeman comes and talks to you, just be nice, be polite, don't talk back and show them your papers. And that was very, you know, compelling and stark in that, you know, 200 years have passed and in some ways things still are the same. Jesse's one of Jesse's favorite authors um, is the author of Americana, which is one of the first books that Navo and I wrote together, read together. And um, I thought it was interesting that I read a quote from her where she talks about, um, you know, sometimes um, writers who've grown up in Africa are not as familiar with kind of the African American experience and the heritage of slavery, um, and that impacts the way they understand African American culture. So I thought this was um, kind of interesting that she really steeps her book in African American culture, despite the fact that she herself is actually African. Um, and, and she even points out in some ways the. Um, the distinction of, of um, you know, one of her characters, um, Marjorie, um, you know, in, in Alabama, um, you know, sometimes feeling this culture shock between her other black classmates as uh, an African or a, a girl who's grown up partially in Africa and partially in the United States rather than an African-American. Absolutely. And I think some of the reviews that this book um, evoked also kind of talked about how perhaps Jesse's um, characterization of the African-American experience might have been too heavy-handed and it depicted African-Americans as sort of more passive acceptors of their faith than kind of truly demonstrating the struggle and the, you know, the challenges that they'd faced. And that definitely, you know, raises some room for thought. Um, but I think personally that, you know, she, her book provides, the African-American chapters provide a very interesting um were very interesting reading i could see how you know people could think certain experiences had been 
chosen over others and there's you know it's such a sensitive topic and it's hard to do it perfectly sure Sure. let's talk a little bit about kind of the lyrical nature of this book um i for instance thought that the there was very much of this this beautiful writing and how the author had expressed herself and the africans in the African side especially, there were so many beautiful and sometimes scary with the burning of the white man or a brony rituals that were, um, you know, really, there was a very good mix of kind of American writing kind of mixed, for lack of a better word, American or English writing mixed with kind of cultural um, intonations or language from uh, Ghanaian kingdoms that I thought was very well done. And especially a phrase that stood out. There were so many lyrical phrases that stood out, but one especially was when Abina is talking about how even though they were now free, there's this analogy she makes about a fisherman reeling in a bunch of fish in a net. And even though many of them escape, they never forget what it is to have been captured. And I thought that was really beautiful. Mm. Let's chat a little bit about the name, because you told me something interesting about the name that um, I actually didn't know. So my understanding is that homegoing kind of refers to this African-American belief that death allows an enslaved person's spirit to travel back to the homeland, which in this case is Africa. So um, it's this enduring kind of belief that, you know, even though you might now, and I think this kind of is more relevant during the times of slavery, even though that your body is enslaved and broken and captured, your soul, once you die, will ultimately be free and go back to where you were meant to be from and where you are originally from, which, um, you know, I think is very beautiful. And I've also had that sort of some African-American friends tell me that, you know, going back to Africa can be a very moving experience for them for that reason. To me, without even knowing that, um, I thought the title of the book was very clever just because um, I remember hearing this idea of you can never go home again as sort of, um, you know, depending on what we experience in our lives, is it really possible to sort of go back and to, um, I don't know, to maybe like recreate or re-experience an innocence or um, a place that might have changed and is no longer right and I I think that you know in some ways I do believe that is true that you can't go back and then I think this concept becomes even more poignant when we think about African Americans in the United States who are not always able to trace back their lineage because of the complicated history of slavery. So you would not even have the option of trying to retrace or recreate um, your family's heritage. Mm-hmm. And so what I think is so beautiful about the book is that Marcus, um, you know, does go back to Ghana with Marjorie you know, not knowing that these are actually two halves of the same family that have been reconnected, but he is able to recreate, um, or to, sorry, to re-enter kind of his family's history. And the reader has been taken along on this whole journey. So they're suddenly able to piece together the, the, the backstory, if you will. Exactly. Um, and really understand the lineage and like what brought him to the United States and what has brought him back to Africa in a way that I thought was, you know, very poignant. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's very relevant, that theme of home going in today's world where people move so much. There's so much immigration. There's so many, you know, refugees like life takes us, you know, to different lands. And sometimes you can't go home physically because, you know, there's stuff going on there that you're escaping from. And sometimes when you go back, it's not the same. 
So very definitely um, relevant on so many levels. Yeah. What did you think about this kind of fear of water and fire and those elements that were in the book? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that um, sort of, you know, goes back to your point that I hadn't thought about. It's just sort of the lyricism of the book and the the different symbols. And um, you're right, I think it's Marcus who fears water. And um, Marjorie fire. Marjorie fears fire. And then, um, you know, Marjorie's... There was a fire early on in um, Effia's life, um, and then... The fire that started it all, really. They all originated out of this great inferno. Right, and then... Uh, so then, you know, historically, I guess, uh, Marjorie has carried with her through the generations this fear of fire, and then um, you can imagine Marcus, um, you know, his family... And, of course, Marjorie's father was disfigured by fire, too. So yeah, I thought those themes were, that she did a nice job of sort of tying those in in a way that was believable, but also um, still evocative of the family's ha- um, past. Absolutely. And then what was your favorite story in this book? Oh, I liked the story. I mean, it was very um, tragic, but I was really in- interested in the story of H, who was um, basically... Um, a prisoner in and worked in a coal mine and had this just sort of phenomenal strength and also compassion for another prisoner. So he was able to shovel twice the load of coal because um, one of these men who was recently in prison was, was not able to do his own share. Um, so I, I, that was my favorite story. Mine actually was um, the story of Marjorie's parents. So um, Yaw, who is this man who's been disfigured by fire due to tragic circumstances, and his servant, Esther, um, who comes into his life pretty late when he's in his 50s, and they have kind of this relationship for several years that is, you know, very master-servant, but they both have deeper feelings for each other, and they're coming together eventually to produce Marjorie, who is the Ghanaian who moves to America and eventually meets Marcus on the other side of her family. I thought that was a beautiful um, relationship right there. Yeah. Well, and that brings up something that I wanted to ask you was, um, and we've kind of touched on this, but the book has an unusual structure. So um, every chapter is a subsequent generation of one of the two family lines. And so you never, well, Sometimes you'll see like Yah who appears in his own chapter and then as Marjorie's father in her chapter. But, but very peripherally. For the most part, you really don't see um, characters repeating. So it almost feels like a collection of short stories rather than a, a novel. Um, and so how did that work for you? I liked the theme of the book and the way that it was structured. Um, my, you know, I was engrossed all the way through and... Um, I read it in a couple of sittings just because it was so compelling to me. So I didn't find that uh, a new chapter was a new person to be disruptive. But I could see if you were reading, you know, 30 minutes every night over you know, a month, how you would want that central figure to propel you through the book. I personally thought that the story was interesting enough. And if anything, I was wanting more and I was joking to Stephanie that if I'd written this book, it would have been a thousand pages long because I there was so much more about these characters that I wanted to know and I feel could have been fleshed out and really added even more depth to an already beautiful book. Yeah, I mean, the book is only 300 pages, which is actually um, kind of astonishing when you think about everything that she tackles in those 300 pages, both sort of historically and thematically. So um, what do you think in terms of the 
ending of the book. So as we've alluded to before, Marjorie, who is the latest descendant of the Ghanaian side or the Gold Coast side, ends up meeting in real life Marcus, who is the descendant of the slaves that were sent uh, abroad or sent to America on ships. And they end up meeting actually at, um, in the Bay Area at a Stanford party, did you feel, I went back and forth between whether, you know, seven, six generations later, the meeting of these two halves of the family was predestined or cliched? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think on some level, um, I was satisfied by the idea of the family being re um, reconnected or, or the circle being completed. I think what maybe I didn't necessarily need was it felt like the characters are being set up for a romantic connection versus uh, definitely yeah versus to me that felt a little cliched versus I think just the idea of their paths crossing in some way and perhaps them having some sort of experience that to me felt um like appropriate or what I was hoping for as the reader absolutely I think I would agree with you there um I like what you said about closing the circle, but the fact that they would find one another and feel this deep connection, maybe, I don't know, from that like shared genetic past or a shared history, whether known or subconscious, I could go either way on that. Um, I think we're coming to the end of our time, but before I leave, I want to ask you, um, so Jesse says that her favorite author is Chimamanda Ngozi, um, mm-hmm. who is another so highly renowned and amazing uh, female author uh, from Africa. She's from Nigeria. What do you think about this um, new wave of you know, writing in English that isn't originating out of the West? I mean, I think it's fantastic. I I feel like, um, for me, I love to read so much, and it's just a way to almost be inside the mind of someone who's had an experience that's so different from me. And so I love that we're really starting to see all these different voices and that they're not just finding success in kind of these niche communities, but the books are really becoming, you know, uh, it might be a little early for homegoing, but Americana was, you know, a blockbuster success. Um, and so I'd love to see um, some more female authors from diverse backgrounds experiencing the same sort of success. And I hope that this trend is something that we'll continue to see. Absolutely. Well, you know, as we said, Jessie is only 26 and this is her first book. And I will say that this is definitely one of the better top to the top of the pile books I've read in the past year and I read a lot so I'm very excited to see what she has next up her sleeve yeah and I, I enjoyed it as well and I've I've heard um, from a lot of friends that they're also reading it so I look forward to um, continuing to discuss it and um, particularly in this time when I think we do need a lot of discussion about uh, race dynamics and immigration from diverse voices right right Um, So thanks for listening to us talk about Homegoing. We hope you enjoyed it. And please, please, please provide us feedback either um, individually or to our Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram pages. We love hearing from our audience. We're under Booktopia in all mediums, and we hope to connect with you. Right. And speaking of that, um, as Nabo mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, our hope is that for those of you who love to read but don't always have a community of readers to be a part of, our podcast could provide that forum for you. Um, So 
To that end, our next book will be When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Um, so we'll be coming back in a little over a month to discuss that book with you all. Um, so grab it, read it, um, send us questions if you have ideas about what you would like to discuss if you were here with us live. And uh, we'll look forward to joining you again for When Breath Becomes Air. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye.